0: Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Digital Artcast. My name is Gordon and I'll be your host on this interview today. Um, Another great, great artist we've got on to talk about his career and uh, all things uh, just epic in general about the art industry and making games. Um, Thanks again to people who have been subscribing uh, and checking out the podcast. Uh, We are nearly 2,000 subscribers and again, if you're listening to this in any other service, make sure you check out our YouTube channel. You can also find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, the whole lot. Um, so uh, this, this guest in particular, um, I think is really interesting because I've tried to get him on a few times and just scheduling conflicts. have kind of meant that uh, we've maybe not been able to connect, but luckily tonight he had a little bit of time to come and talk to me. So uh, without further ado, um, let me introduce Nick Carver. What up, Nick?
1: Hello. Thanks for having me on.
0: Glad to be yeah, here. Yeah, of course. Thank you, man. Thank you. Um, yeah. So we met in a kind of a really weird circumstance where uh, I think it was it was last year, right? Industrial workshops, two thousand eighteen. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I have a vague recollection of, of whichever evening that was. Yeah.
0: Yeah, definitely evening. We were talking. I think that we were kind of moving with the crowd, and I kind of bumped into. And we were talking about. I think maybe for two seconds I had gone into the podcast or something like that. Or yeah, I think I think at the time I'd actually just interviewed Mark Burnett. And we'd sound, we somehow got to talking about it and then you were just like, oh yeah, I used to work with Mark. And <laughs> I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> the world small world, small yeah, yeah, where did that go? Because obviously I think it's just weird when you you find, uh, you go to those events and you could be talking to someone, you know, for like half an hour and then they're like, oh yeah, I've worked at this huge big company and I'm this amazing artist that's worked for 20 years in the industry and you're like, what? I mean, so... <laughs> it's just a regular guy. <laughs> it's just a regular guy like us. No, then that, I think it... Um, it was ThU last year when i went and uh i was talking to uh shuvo uh, or shuzo who runs polygon pictures yeah and um i was talking to him for oh, like maybe 30 minutes and then i was like all right yeah man and, and what do you do you're an artist and he's <laughs> like oh yeah i run this company called polygon i was like oh fine, <laughs> okay yeah okay i know who you are jesus christ um so yeah, that happens a lot. Yeah, I mean
1: it's it's kind of a testament to the, to the fact that most people are pretty chill and pretty down to earth and there's not a huge amount oh, yeah.
0: of ego going around
1: normally. So people, yeah, are just happy to chat on a you know kind of you know level.
0: Yeah, one to one on level. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's not like the Rockstar lifestyle where you see guys who maybe get like big breaks in movies or anything like that. If you going to work for a big company, it is a big deal, but at the same time you, you don't really change as a person. You just see it as another opportunity and another job. But you're still the same person you were when you worked at like your first job so yeah yeah um which is interesting of course because yes you have worked at you know one of my favorite studios which is blizzard and also worked in one of my favorite game franchises which is overwatch um but then of course um you're from the uk you probably came from a very humble beginning of small small studios at the time and then worked your way up um so i think when we were kind of Pre-talking there before we we kinda rolled the official recording button. Uh you were saying you didn't traditionally go through the school systems for art? No,
1: no. So yeah. Um so like I was saying, I um you know, I loved video games and and movies and animation, all those sorts of things like everybody back in my childhood. Um but yeah, yeah, just like we're talking back in sort of mid nineties when I was a teenager, like it just the you know the thought that you could do that stuff professionally, I just didn't know where to go or how to go about learning. You know mm. what that sort of progression would be. So yeah. I kind of gave up on art around sort of the age of fourteen or something like that. Like I'd always drawn comics and made little mm. plasticine characters and stuff, but then um, I ended up concentrating on languages. I went to a university and studied Japanese language and culture. Oh, wow um, did yeah did that for <laughs> four years and um had a year living in in kyoto in japan which was a really awesome experience oh cool um but then yeah just in my final year I, for whatever reason i got hold of a, a pirated copy of um 3ds max like version three i think it was and like photoshop number six or something um yeah. And just as soon as I, I think it was I was supposed to be doing my dissertation, and I and I was kind of procrastinating on that, and instead I just started doing the like basic tutorials in Max, like you know uh, I don't know you had to like model a, a crash helmet and put like materials on it and stuff, or like make a ping pong ball bounce that sort of thing. But um, yeah, immediately I just I just fell in love with it, and I was like, oh wow, why wasn't I doing this, you know, five <laughs> years ago, sort of thing. So yeah, so I graduated, and then. um I, uh, moved back in with my parents and they weren't, well, they, they were always very supportive actually, but they were probably thinking, what the hell is he doing? We've just, you know, supported him financially to do this degree and, and, and yeah. he wants to do something completely different. So I basically just, you know, worked, um, like minimum wage during the week, just worked a like office job. And then all the rest of the time I was just teaching myself how to model stuff and, uh, you know, trying to put together a portfolio and then, uh, mm. Like a year or so after that, I uh, moved to Nottingham uh, with my with my wife, well, girlfriend at the time, because she was studying to be a teacher. And uh, yeah, it just happened to be a company, Free Radical, um, who made time splitters, amongst other things. Uh, They were looking, yeah, yeah, yeah. They were looking for a like a junior texture artist, junior character artist. And um, by that point, I'd got maybe like half a dozen models, and uh, you know, they they weren't anything to write home about. But I think there was enough within the texture painting maybe I'd kind of you know hand painted a bunch of textures and they were not terrible so um yeah I managed to to get a a job and uh basically just just you know learn some of the job from there really um you know most people in the studio had either been doing it for quite a while or they'd come from some kind of art school background so i immediately was just like you know just felt under immense pressure to to get better very quickly and to particularly try and get better in terms of my fundamentals and just better you know drawing and and well just understanding any kind of concept within art you know i'd sort of i'd learned how to use the applications but not with any real understanding of like you know perspective or Uh, value ranges or color theory or proportion or anatomy or anything really i just kind of learned what button did what within you know max and photoshop so um so yeah so so after that i mean kind of my my whole career since then really has always been a case of just trying to i don't know feeling like I'm, i'm trying to catch up with with one thing or another or like you know just um push to improve uh in in different areas just to just to i don't know keep keep uh keep it interesting i guess
0: yeah, because that's interesting. Because uh, I mean, you're probably more now known for um, your contribution to concept art than mm-hmm. I suppose maybe 3D stuff. So yeah. But then uh, again, this conversation we've had, at even just you know a couple of weeks ago when I interviewed Max Davenport, he was saying about how um, you know 3D for him as well is also just a tool that helps his uh, appreciation of the models and helps build faster uh, blockouts for stuff he's doing. So. Yeah. It's probably something that you were kind of like ahead of the curve at the time, right? You were already (laughs) mixing 2D and 3D early on.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I remember, yeah, because I I kind of... I, I was working as a character artist, you know, for sort of five years or so, mainly while I was working at Free Radical, and I remember... Um, when I first saw the concepts by Hawkpray for Gears of War, I think it was, you know, those were sort of some of the first like 3D concept art that I'd ever seen. And it was kind of like, oh, of course, you can just do, you know, as much of it as you want in 3D. I think there was still at that time a bit of a stigma about like, oh, you shouldn't, you know, if you're a concept artist, you should do it all in 2D. You shouldn't be using like 3D software to help you, which is ridiculous. But there was definitely that kind of an attitude to it on certain forums back in the day but like as soon as i saw those concepts and just how um how amazing and how you know fully finished and and cool they looked i was like well i'm just gonna do that i'm gonna start doing that so um so i started doing a a fair amount of like 3d based concepts and then yeah I, i just just gradually tried to introduce more and more 2d into my workflow as i went you know um yeah uh, I was going to say, yeah. When I, um, when I was nearing the end, at Free Radical, I mean Free Radical, unfortunately, like went bust around uh, the end of uh. two thousand and eight, I think. Like, um, yeah, they, I mean, they they were kind of bought, and they they kept on going a bit longer. They became part of Crytek, and and uh, yeah, they worked on like Crisis Three and things like that. But um, the studio effectively kind of died at the end of two thousand and eight. And uh, even at that point, I'd started to talk to um, a guy, a, a recruiter I knew at, at Blizzard. So I was sort of starting to
0: try and move in that direction. Um, yeah, to leave and look yeah. for the next thing. Was that a, a difficult conversation at the time with your partner? I mean, not to get too personal, but of course, moving to California is a big thing. So was that a, a decision you kind of both made together that you were going to, be okay to move over yeah, to the states yeah yeah my wife um she's a team i only really ask this because i'm probably in a similar situation oh. where, <laughs> yeah like i mean i'm, I'm coming looking for my first gig and if that first yeah. gig is like away from scotland then i'm gonna have to think about taking my partner with me so, absolutely
1: yeah. yeah yeah i mean yeah we did um we'd obviously discuss it and you know it, it's not a took uh, lightly but um but no i mean she she's a teacher and at the time she'd been at the same school for a number of years i think we were both ready for a change i think we'd just been um you know we've been in nottingham for five or six years and we were just ready for a different experience and and the plan initially was just to you know an opportunity like that to go and work somewhere like blizzard doesn't come along every day so we just we'll go for it and we'll give it a year initially and you know if we like it great we'll we'll stay and Mm -hmm. and you know stay as as long as it um as long as it's what we want to be doing and then if not then you know no big deal we we gave it a go um right but yeah ultimately we ended up staying for for seven years and both our kids were born out there and you know it was it was an awesome experience you know just um I'm, I'm super glad that i did it and i think that obviously having had that opportunity it's mm. it definitely paved the way for for things that i've done since as well since, yeah
0: yeah yeah because yeah, we've kind of spoke about this on and off since since we're going met, and um <clears throat> excuse me we've talked about you know the opportunities that came up recently and, and things that you're doing we're you're just you're still kind of trying to find your way what do you think is your next step moving forward? Do you think it's back into your studio or you can enjoy the freedom you have at the moment, probably especially now with your kids being that can age as well, you know, helping with school and stuff. Is there, is that kind of taking a part in your decision and where you want to go as well? Uh,
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I, yeah, so I I was at Blizzard for for like seven years and then we moved back to the UK in 2016 and I I worked remotely for Riot for sort of three years. So I've kind of, and now I'm just kind of – I've spent six months working for a, a mobile studio um, and I'm just sort of, uh, yeah, considering what I'm what I'm going to do or where I'm going to focus next. Um, yeah. But, but, um, but, yeah, in terms of my decision-making, yeah, I, I mean, I do miss being a studio environment, I'm not going to lie. But at the same time, I think, like, those big projects, those big AAA things that take, you know, five years to ship or yeah. sometimes even more, like – there's only so much of that that I could do, uh, sort of back to
0: back, before I started to go a bit insane. So um, yeah, I can I can totally find that. Where yeah. even when again, um, people, <laughs> I wonder if people ever get sick of me saying this one. When I used to work at Access, no, when I had my internship at Access in Glasgow, mm. um, when I spoke to people there, there was a couple of guys I knew had come from Games and stuff, and they were saying yeah. the good thing about the cinematics was you only worked maybe on a project for six to seven months then you turned out something that was like tangible in your hands you could see it um you know the the credits rolled and and, you know you got to work on that one thing and then that then moves you on to the next project so I think that's why some of those more short-term contract gigs are are more appealing to people now because you're not stuck into something for five years of your life which can also be a long time
1: yeah that's very true and I think um as you get older as well it becomes more of an issue like I, a lot of people who i've you know come up through the industry with we're all of a similar age and we're all mm. similar opinion it seems like you know we don't necessarily want to keep doing those super long projects every time um yeah. for exactly for the reasons that you you say it's just um, mm. you just i think you just crave variety um yeah. and uh you know particularly these triple a games the bigger the budget the you know the bigger the team like the more specialized mm. generally you have to get so like yeah you know you could be the guy that's just doing trash cans for a year or something you know what i mean like it's totally feasible. yeah <laughs> that could be your
0: i think if i was getting to do trash cans on overwatch i'd be pretty happy so <laughs>
1: <laughs> trash cans go. they are some of the the more entertaining ones to design yeah, of movie, course. actually when i um when I first joined that team, back when it was Tyson, um, Mm -hmm. kind of gone in as a character artist, but with the understanding that I was going to be a bit of like a hybrid 2D, 3D guy. So I was going to do some concepting and, you know, make uh, character models as well. And one of the first sort of uh assignments i got as a concept artist was to design a dumpster
0: (laughs) i remember just
1: yes living the dream (laughs) designing designing the the sci-fi dumpster um but i remember like i said that sarcastically to peter lee and he was like you know you can you can find a way to make anything interesting you know yeah at least for a while like if you can if you can uh, just find an a unique angle on it like find a way of making it interesting for yourself then yeah that's normally going to come through in the design that you create as well so i kind of i took that on board and i generally try and approach design work with that same idea of like okay this might not be necessarily the, the most exciting thing i'm never going to design but if i can l- like if i can make it interesting for myself for at least you know as long as it takes me to do it whether it's half a day or a day or something then you know then I'll have learned something in the process probably. So uh, I try I try and keep that. Yeah. But then I was yeah. Gonna,
0: yeah. I was gonna say it though, because it, it reminds me of when we were doing some early graphic design stuff when I done graphic design as a diploma before I moved on yeah, 3D in university. But uh a couple of the guys who were teaching us at the time were people who came from industry and they were saying, look, even when you get handed a brief, it'll be for something really not fun." but your job is to make it fun. Like it's, you know, the client are coming with something really super dry and say, we need this pitch for this thing, for this equal bin or whatever it is they're going to pitch for. And your job is to make that thing flashy and make it appealing to people who want to invest money or want to get behind it. So um, I think that's probably one of the biggest challenges of being a designer is that you're trying to take something as, mundane as a dumpster right and they make it interesting so even when players walk past it in the game they're like oh that's pretty cool i mean like you know i mean maybe no the dumpster would be pretty cool but even then you know um the smaller things like you know and i convelled like you know there's tons of little you know details hanging about with the flags and banners and destroyed little buildings that you know probably probably more for me because you know i'm in that world so yeah you take more time to look at those things whereas a lot of people just graze past them um there's nothing worse than you know when people invest in AAA games and they're sitting playing them and they're just running past everything at a million miles a second and you're looking at all these blades of grass and all these assets and you're like, look yeah. at all the stuff that you're well, just missing. I do, yeah. I, I Yeah, I
1: do feel that as well. Like, it seems like such a waste of, you know, oftentimes hundreds of millions of dollars and also, you know, many thousands of hours of people's time. And I think, yeah, it is a shame. And also, but I can totally understand the reason why people just breeze to by those things because, I mean, yeah. one, like, you know what's cutting edge one one week is kind of like passe you know a a few months later so there's that and also like the way that ui like hud ui works in a lot of games like there's so many markers and overlays on top of the you know the actual visuals of the game and ui is is a definitely you know a sort of necessary element within Mm -hmm. the game but a lot of the time i feel like there's just so much of it that like you don't really notice the actual game world a lot of the time you just focused on like some hud marker that you're aiming towards you know and there's like oh my god oh. that's the
0: it's the grand theft auto thing right yeah. like, you're, driving, <laughs> yeah. you're driving for missions and you're doing all these amazing things in this big california reenactment but then everyone just stares at the minimap yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. so yeah so i can t- i can understand like I, when i play games as much as i can
1: i try and turn all of the hud ui off and like yeah as long as it's not de- completely detrimental to the experience as long as i can still get from point a to point be particularly if it's open world games I, I like to try and like just completely remove that stuff and you know yeah. appreciate the artistry that's gone into something of course Cause, cause i think it was even crazy now
0: yeah when i got the the switch initially and i got breath of the wild um I, I tried to avoid as much spoilers as i could but one of my friends who just got it before me was like the best advice i will give you is go into the options menu and turn the hot like the HUD and the minimap off yeah yeah, yeah. And just like dive into that world yeah. head first and Have don't. An yeah. Yeah. Then it, then it, you know, go straight for the markers. Try and find your own way through the world. And it was more of an adventure I think I'd ever had in any game um, like that. That's awesome.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that that's why there's so much appeal for things like, you know, Minecraft and No Man's Sky and these procedurally generated worlds as well, because like there's a sense of discovery that you just yeah. get. I mean, and, and I love the crafted experiences of you know a Red Dead Redemption 2 or a Horizon Zero Dawn or whatever like i think they're yeah. amazing achievements artistic mm-hmm. but at the same time yeah there's 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 definitely something to be said for just that kind of uh experience that feels singular and and and, and fully immersive and I, I think like yeah you you have to strip away as much of that stuff as possible i think to really have that kind of uh Sort of
0: effect. singular gaming memory, you know? Yeah. Um, I, th- I think it's interesting that you brought up... I mean, I've, I'm just downloading Red Dead as we speak because... how uh, oh, the PC version? Yeah, I wasn't much of a console gamer for a long time because I've had a computer, so... Yeah. Um, waiting for the, the PC version, which dropped a couple of days ago, so uh, I've, I'm, I've just invested in, in that. Um, but what I did enjoy about Red Dead when I was playing it on the console with one of my friends is, is was just, the I think, the technical marvel of... Yeah reproducing that whole world uh and as much detail as it did but on the flip side um i feel like breath of the wild's environment was more realized and had more um mystery and adventure behind it yeah because even now i think when i still play that just for fun i mean i think it was only it was only like a month ago Mm -hmm. i managed to go you know because you can do the hero's journey where you see everywhere you've walked in the map yeah So I was trying to go to places I hadn't been yet. And I managed to discover this tiny little village um, down in the kind of bottom right of the map where Mm -hmm. there was a recreation of um, like Outset Ireland on the Wind Waker game. Uh, They've kind of recreated it, like a little village to pay homage. Yeah. Um, I just wandered into it with my horse and I was like, where the... where? I've played this game for like 300 hours. I've never seen this village. Um, Or even the fun fact that like you don't... I don't really want... Like in Red Dead especially, I was fast traveling as well, but with Zelda... I just loved going from one place to the next because even stuff like you know getting attacked on the road by ninjas as you were walking down it or bumping into people selling stuff or yeah. like that kind of stuff is you know it's just irreplaceable even i mean i was listening to a, a gaming podcast recently where they talked about the old e three demo years back where you had like fifteen minutes in the great plateau and you just got to do anything you want but mm-hmm. um a twenty people played that demo, everybody had a different experience, yeah yeah yeah, That's awesome. so yeah different ways but then i I take it with uh when you were kind of building on titan that was a big concern for you guys right because obviously for people who don't know titan was the original name for overwatch it was going to be a an mmorpg
1: yeah
0: open world thing so how i mean i don't know how much you can talk to obviously because a lot of that you know even in the documentary they were very scarce with details um but what was your kind of thinking towards the point of that project where you were you know you were going to switch to overwatch was it just that it didn't feel realized enough or you didn't feel like there was enough there to push uh, out a game
1: yeah i mean it's um yeah i mean that that, that the the history of that game is uh or, or you know titan's development is yeah legendary it was a strange one it was a long and strange experience <laughs> um, I, I i mean as much as there is a lot of shared DNA between the two games, and particularly, I guess, visually and in terms of like a lot of it. a lot of the heroes. Obviously, they they were part of Titan to some degree as playable characters. But um, but yeah, the, the the sort of scope of Titan was just so much bigger and broader, and encompassed a ton of different kinds of gameplay. I mean, you know, look at look at Wow now, and in terms of like all the different facets of that game, like it was going to be a similar thing but you know in a sort of sci-fi near future setting there was there was going to be like so much content and the game world was you know planned to be absolutely huge <laughs> so it was like yeah. it was a massive you know it was a massive undertaking and like it was a team of like 200 people at its peak um but yeah i mean it was just I think it was just a case of I don't know. I don't want to speak for you know people who were in charge of the project, but yeah, I think it was. I think Jeff Kaplan has said that you know that um, they, they didn't necessarily have a full handle on what the game was supposed to be, and um, I think that that happened for a number of
0: reasons. Um, yeah, but uh, I think but J- Jeff and Chris have both kind of spoke to it, right? That yeah, they just yeah. felt they came to a point where they were like, "Yeah, this isn't going to work. This yeah. isn't really what we thought it was going to be." What do we do next? What's the next step? Because obviously, I think for a lot of game companies, it's hard to work on something that long, and then nothing comes out because Absolutely. it either gets cancelled or shelved. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, and then of course, Overwatch was was the next step. Yeah, and then- Overwatch. I
1: mean, Overwatch the the thing that actually always worked. Even you know, I joined the project uh, Titan in two thousand and nine, end of two thousand and nine, and even at that stage, like the the PvP, you know, um, team based uh gameplay fps gameplay was always fun like even at those early stages like play tests were, were a blast even you know in the early stages of development so that was the kind of the part that always worked like everything else it sort of fluctuated in terms of how well it was working you know all, all the other facets of the gameplay and the the world and all, all those sorts of things like we never really got a full handle on that but but the kind of just you know the the um the pvp stuff was was always a hell of a lot of fun so i think they just doubled down on that which was obviously a really smart decision um just focused on making that as good as it can be and uh, really you know distilling the kind of ip the world building and the art style that we'd started with titan and just kind of making the most blizzard version of that thing you know and really just uh just yeah just concentrating on the heroes and and
0: fleshing their their backstories and all that sort of thing um yeah because I mean at the time obviously you're kind of your company across the the road or the guys who were close by Riot were obviously making big strides with um League of Legends and and their kind of hero stuff was was something that was also attractive so it was probably a good idea that they thought well this is a good thing and kind of hang on to was the the focus of the heroes and it's weird now you say that because I think even people trying to think of Overwatch in any other way would be weird, right? Because Mm -hmm. now we know it as this this, uh, FPS PvP game. Yeah. But then to think if Titan actually had came out and how different that story would have been um, would be really interesting. Because even then, like, when Overwatch released in its infancy, uh, you know, Blizzard had never attempted a first-person shooter. But then, of course, Mm -hmm. here it came and the success was huge, especially the first year. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely,
1: yeah. And I remember, you know, because I, 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 after Titan got, you know, rebooted as Overwatch, I actually didn't stay on Team Four. I, I went onto another R and D project for a couple of years. And I remember, okay. like, when they were talking about Overwatch, you know, when when I'd go and like visit people working on it, um, you know, a lot of people outside of the team were questioning, like, can you make this FPS with like all these different c- characters, all these different heroes with different abilities? Like, how are we going to balance that? You know, like it's yeah. like seemed like a risk to be honest yeah but obviously they they did a great job of managing to to keep everybody uh you know balanced and and make the gameplay fun and and for the most part pretty fair between the different heroes but yeah it was definitely it was definitely something that they uh they agonized about for a long time i think and you know they they worked super hard i know that that team the kind of core team that stayed after you know because like 75 percent of that team moved on to other projects, you know, whether it was going on to StarCraft or Diablo or Heroes of the Storm yeah. or WoW, um, yeah. most of the team, you know, left. So it was really yeah. just like a skeleton crew that um, had to prove that
0: that Overwatch could work, you know. Yeah, because even I think we talked about um, kind of Mark's journey at the time, but then he, when we interviewed him, he, he talked about how as soon as Titan kind of was starting to make that transition in Overwatch, he moved on to the StarCraft team mm-hmm. um, and started doing different stuff there before he obviously eventually left and yeah. went into work in Cube Rush. Yeah. Um, so was there a, a thing that kind of made a decision for a lot of people that they wanted to move? Was it just a kind of collected decision? A lot of people said, you know, there's op- options for people to stay or people can go. How how did you kind of make the decision you wanted to come off that and not well, well, I mean, continue was, in Overwatch? It wasn't
1: my decision. Like,
0: Right, okay. No, no, like most of us yeah. would have...
1: I think, I don't know, I don't want to speak for other people, but I think a lot of people no, sure. stayed on Overwatch given the opportunity. But, yeah. Um, like, yeah, we just had a meeting one day and were basically told, you know, unfortunately this project isn't working out as we would hope. But, I mean, right. the good thing about it being a, a company of the size of Blizzard was that they could actually absorb a lot of, the. you know, the, they didn't have to, like, let a bunch of people go. They had right. opportunities for other, other, uh, you know, other avenues people to go and work on different teams so right so even though it was a tough you know a tough day a tough week or whatever uh, yeah. it did you know soften the blow that there was other things to get involved
0: with you could that. go and work on something else yeah, yeah. and as that
1: yeah and i think like the 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 company as a whole benefited um i can't speak to other disciplines but um mm. definitely in terms of art i think that because on you know team four on, on titan we were you know l- looking to do a lot with you know pbr and all these sorts of things like a, yeah. and kind of next gen workflows generally um the other teams that had maybe were more established but had maybe got st- you know sort of stuck in doing things a particular way like they really benefited from having people come across and and bring these different techniques and uh i think a lot yeah. of the arts across the other projects leveled up
0: as a result of that you know oh, um, so uh so, was the R and D project you worked on? Was that something that has been announced, or just uh, never? Kind of, no, I... it's something that's never been talked about. To be honest, like, okay, <laughs> we'll we'll say no more. <laughs> super, yeah, super
1: small team. It was only ever, it was like three people to start with, and it, it only ever got as big as I think about eight or ten, and, right? Um, and it was an amazing experience. Like, it's it's not something I can ever talk about. It's not something I can yeah. show any work from. And I, of course, I, I course, poured like two years of my of my life into it, and um, yeah. It was my first opportunity to like define the visuals for a project as well. Cause I was like, by virtue of the fact that I was the only artist on the project for a lot of the, those two years, right. I sort of became the, you know, de facto art director for it. So, oh, cool. so yeah, yeah, I got to, I got to, you know, not only did I get to define a lot of the visual style, but also because it was such a small team, I was like in, mm. in the room with, with everybody. So it was, you know, myself and the, the game director and, um, and uh, league programmer, and you know, just a few of us really. And so, I yeah. got to actually pitch ideas for for design, and I got to do level design and all this sort of stuff. Like, which oh, cool. I'd always wanted to. But you know, when you're on a team of 200, you're going to obviously not necessarily have opportunities to do much outside of your immediate discipline. So um, I could imagine. Yeah, yeah that so, so was really like, even though that project didn't didn't work out and it got shelved and everything, like it was sort of a turning point for me in terms of I yeah decided at that point one that i i I really wanted to try and get into game development more generally in terms of my own Mm -hmm. projects but um but also yeah just just that it kind of proved to me that i'd rather be on smaller teams given the opportunity like right i mean big teams can make amazing games but um your opportunity to have like real creative impact is lessened you know unless you're like right at the top of the tree it's kind of Know, harder
0: and harder to kind of really put your stamp on something, so uh, yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I think that's why you see a lot of the guys who were, um, you know, like big time directors and worked in these AAA games have now all moved on to like their own project or formed their own studio or done something where they feel they can be creative. Um, I mean, uh, Ken Levine famously was. You know, working on Bioshock for long enough, and then he was just like, you know, screw this. After you know Bioshock Infinite, he was like, oh, I just want to focus on something where I feel like I can have a real input because these big AAA things are just, you know, getting too much. Yeah. Um. But then I I feel like it's it's also a great learning experience, like you said, where Blizzard probably taught you so much as an oh, artist, yeah. artist, as a person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How How did you feel world building, World building was different at Blizzard as opposed to previous companies you'd worked at which was probably only the one at the time but did you feel like there was something different about it i
1: think well
0: i think just that it was
1: an actual thing i think nowadays like i don't know now that there's more of a, a vernacular for concept art and just like ip in general like world building is no big deal but i think like yeah, when I'd worked at Free Radical, we might have talked about a bit of backstory and, you know, done some concept art, but but the idea of, like, real world building and lore and all that sort of thing was still a relatively alien concept to me, I think. So the fact that it was... Uh, that Blizzard placed so much importance on it, I think that was sort of eye-opening for me. And I just remember being in meetings with, you know, the rest of the concept art team and there'd be, like, Chris Metzen and, and these other guys and they were just yeah. so so passionate about what they were talking about i think that was the thing that really came over to me you know it was like yeah. so much enthusiasm for the things that we were making and also just a real humility and you know really did feel for the most part like you know best idea in the room was the one that we went with and it didn't matter who it came from so i think mm. uh, yeah that kind of atmosphere would definitely with regard to medicine was something I was always really aware of. And uh, yeah, just with, I don't know, in terms of world building, I just think like, yeah, that, that that people really cared about it and they put a lot of thought into it. And I guess they'd seen, you know, from the games that they'd already made, like how much, how much your own passion for something can translate to it, like a massive fan base and how much they will sort of take it on and elevate it from, from, you know, what you start with. It's, it must be very rewarding to, to witness that and then to want to do it within other IP within other worlds. So, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I mean, it's something that I try and bear in mind for for the work I do on my own projects is just like, you know, I think you've always got to, you've got to put so much in, you know, you've got to put so much thought in of your own and, 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 and you know, the audience that's actually, you know, uh, consuming it, like they might only get a fraction of what you actually envisage in your head. But I think, um, you can always tell when somebody cared about what they were making. So, you know, whether that's whether that's the visual designs of things or just, like, the backstory or just, you know, a sort of internal logic as to why you're doing the things you're doing, like, I think if you cared about it, then it's going to get
0: communicated, you know. Yeah. I th- Again, I think it's why... A lot of the the smaller indie devs, when they release a lot of these games that they've poured their absolute heart and soul into for however many years, you feel that love more one to one than with a big company who's maybe just you know. i, I do not want bad badmouth any people who work in Call of Duty because uh, I know some of the guys and and they're good guys, but I you know I feel like you know at this point they're just kind of going through the motions. Sometimes yeah. I mean, obviously everybody wants to have their input creatively and how the worlds will be viewed. But then, you know, like a small indie game like uh, Bastion years ago that came out, you know, Supergiant, you know, stuff like that. It feels so handcrafted and so uh, curated that it, it really is very appreciated on our side of the line because people see that love. And I think even recently with Kojima and Death Stranding, mm-hmm. um, people have had such a, a polarizing uh, response <laughs> to that game, I know, which is crazy. But then, you know, when you look at those beautiful recreated landscapes of Iceland and you see the the love of, you know, making the 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 likes and the the positive comments and people reaching out and connecting it's like, you know, it gets to a point where a game's not really a game anymore. It's an artistic piece, you know. And yeah. I feel like Kojima is probably one of the best developers for realizing that. Um even you could see remnants of stuff in Phantom Pain he was trying to bring across. Yeah. Um and then I think yeah that's that stuff is is definitely picked up by people who then appreciate games and play them long enough and then look into something like this and then see how much time he really has put into that because all the small minutiae details are things that are really handcrafted and curated like smaller games on bastion yeah. but in a triple a space um so yeah i think was, like you said with, with blizzard i think they're probably another one of those developers that takes the time to make those little small bits of the games feel just very personal to the, the player yeah i think that's why overwatch is probably you know resonated with so many people because i think so many people have, have resonated with those characters right because there's so much love being put in every one of those that somebody can almost connect with each individual or or one or two of those characters uh, on a personal level. Sure.
1: Yeah. 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 I I totally agree. I think, um, yeah, yeah, you, you can't fake passion for something. I think, um, you know, and and, and I think it's amazing when big projects like a death stranding or overwatch or whatever, it's amazing that they, one that they come out at all when there's such like massive labors of you know of of love and of hardship, but also the, yeah. that 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 passion you know that that it still sings through you know that it that it feels like everyone was pulling in the same direction because um, that's not always the case, right? I think the bigger the team gets, the more. The more potential there is for for you know a good number of the people on that team not necessarily being hundred percent on board with whatever it is that they're making. So um, yeah, I think if you I think that, if you can get to the yeah. end of the project, everyone's like proud of what they did and still still yeah. eager to to do more. Then I think you're in a good place.
0: I think people are also surprised that uh, Kojima managed to put out Death Stranding, and I think it was about three years. Yeah. Um, but then when you look at the game, you know there wasn't a whole world he really had to build in a sense that he had to populate that i mean most of that game is just terrain <laughs> where you walk from one point to another so you know it's not like you guys where you're having to build every single wee dumpster an NPC and npc and robot it's you know he just you know kind of brought that that photogrammetry of iceland back in and then yeah you know had two or three main characters a couple of buildings um obviously a lot of work went into that game yeah <laughs> not 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 shitting on kojima's yeah. uh on his effort but yeah i mean i think yeah you gotta pick your battles and i think yeah you, yeah you know you look at like you look at
1: like some behemoth ubisoft game and it's like it's an insane amount of work an incredible amount of work and yeah. like the just the the you know the the herculean effort of having to corral something like that like the, oh, the, God, the yeah. producers like the spreadsheets for those games must be just incredible. <laughs> they must be an absolute work of art but um yeah. But you know, I think I think there is a danger. Like you know, when I, when those projects get so big that it's spread across a dozen studios, then I think it's harder to have something yeah. at the end of it that is more than you know than sort of just generic you know i think that's where you kind of suffer sometimes like and and i I don't want to badmouth those games because i've put a no no i put a ton of hours into various assassin's creeds and watchdogs and things like that so like i I've, i've got more than my fair share of enjoyment out of them but i think there is a difference like you feel a difference between one of those games
0: and something that genuinely feels like a labor of love you know yeah, I definitely felt that when uh, I went back to Division Two um, after investing in it, and <clears throat> the sheer detail of that whole world—I oh, mean, incredible, it is. Yeah, there's there's so much yeah. on every second step you take. Yeah. There's a wrapper or something moving about, or a yeah. car tipped over with stuff in the back, and just the, you know, we know right the the time that that takes to just make those individual little things. Um, yes, yeah, that is a labour of love. Where, and I think when you were talking about even Assassin's Creed and you know, eventually, when uh, Jade Raymond left to to head up another studio, um, they probably felt the same. Where Assassin's Creed was starting to go through the motions, and mm-hmm. there wasn't as much love or detail being taken into those games, um, so that's why you know people started to leave, and that kind of franchise almost had a uh, a renaissance in a sense where you know, um, I think recently Odyssey has yeah. been at saving grace, but you know, even up until maybe I think. Uh, was it rogue or the one that took place in paris oh um, uh, unity. Unity. unity yeah that was when people were starting to notice you know like there was all those memes online of the, the glitches and stuff and <laughs> people with no faces and just eyeballs and stuff and but yeah the like eyeballs on a wig or yeah <laughs> But then of course when that stuff starts to slip through the cracks, it's like, oh, what's happening? You know, how where's the quality assurance coming yeah, from? How, I mean, I guess, yeah, but it's like it's the schedule of those things as well. You know, you've got to put one yeah. gotta put one of those out every two years or something. Two years, yeah. That's yeah, again, that's when it starts to yeah. unlike guys like Rockstar who, you know, are local at us, but you know, they take absolute time with those games and and are always an a marvel you know yeah, yeah, yeah. that's their money making machine now is especially gta because yeah i think it's still in the top 10 <laughs> games every month for the last I mean, five years so I mean, it's, it's um, great. if you're in a position where you can
1: just say it's you know it's ready when it's ready and you know yeah we're gonna wait because you know that when you put something out it's going to be a level above pretty much anything else that's out there like yeah i think it's a it's a very it's a very strong position to be in yeah
0: yeah rockstar are in a unique position as well i think where the their developers trust them that you know they're going to be able to produce something quite incredible once it's finished so they're not you know they're not keen to rush them they're like we know you guys will make something amazing so it's not an issue but then it's probably took them a long time to get to that point right um even from three and stuff I mean the guys working on it in the early nineties, but. Yeah, so I mean, going back to the <coughs> the artistic side of it. Yeah. Um, when you were working on Titan, uh, you said you were kind of a maybe not a jack of all trades, but you know you had more, kind of multiple disciplines. Mm-hmm. What did your days kind of look like uh, going into the office? What were your kind of main focuses? Mm-hmm. Probably early in the early in the project. The project the, your yeah, best. I mean,
1: like the first year, year and a half. Um, yeah, I was on the, the character team. So you know when we first started trying to think who was on there i mean that that team was incredible to be honest like the whole art team there was just so many amazing people um but within the character crew yeah uh like pure and and renault and vitali and uh mark burn oh yeah like it was just vitali jesus christ even just vitali on his own like (laughs) deem deem was there it was like it was it was insane but yeah it was a a lot of it early on was um it was sort of still we were searching for the style and there was a lot of R and D going on in terms of like what the, what the whole pipeline was going to be. You know, we were, because it was going to be an MMO, there was a lot of assets that were going to get swapped between different characters. So uh, there was a lot of uh, just setting up the systems for being able to, like, transfer things between one character and another. So And a lot of that stuff started to feel quite dry to me, to be honest. Like, even though at that point, like, Arnold Sanger joined, so we were just getting these incredible concepts, like, every week. Oh, like, yeah. He had, like, a new lineup of, like here's another, like, faction for the world. And it was, like, they were all just incredible. I mean, they're still, like, as far as I can tell, they're still drawing on a lot of that stuff for Overwatch. Like, the amount of crazy art that he did over those four years on Titan, you know, it was, it was pretty yeah. pretty insane. Like, it was pretty, yeah. pretty humbling, you know. Yeah. To to be around any of those dudes, really, but particularly him, it was just it was
0: ridiculous. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the talent pool at, at Blizzard is just crazy like even you're not even talking about like you know okay there's overwatch but then uh, yeah there's also diablo across the way there's starcraft you know Mm -hmm. the guys who work on that campus are just ridiculous it's just a dream team i think is the apt but then it's just it's not really realized until you get there and meet those people and and know you know oh wow any one of these guys could be running his own studio any one of these guys could be a lead (laughs) another studio yeah yeah Yeah. Um, and yeah. So yeah. So yeah. Day to day. I mean, I was I was just on the character
1: team doing doing uh, character models and uh, bits of concept here and there. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. Just something about the having been a character artist for sort of five or six years at that point, it was like I I just kind of got in a rut a bit with it. Right. Like, even though I was working on really fun stuff, I just the process of like doing you know do the high poly now. Do yellow poly, do a bake, do the texturing. Like I just, I just felt like I was particularly doing it for an MMO where it was like you're doing lots of like assets in the same kind of manner over and over again. Mm. Um, I just felt like I needed to do something else, so I yeah. made the decision to move over to the um, to the environment team. Yeah, um, and and you know, credit to uh, Justin Tabarat, who was the art director at the time. Like he, he, you know, he he was sort of very supportive and allowed me to to move over and that sort of thing so it was um it was yeah it was was all handled like really nicely so yeah I moved over to environments and and ended up doing a lot of prop design and and prop modeling for a long time and then gradually started to do um bits and pieces of you know sort of architecture design and and, you know a few like uh, concept paintings here and there for different POIs and and that sort of thing within the
0: world Uh, yeah I mean, again, that's probably the, one of the the rare things that I've found is that there's these collections of little, you know, or groups or, or, or findings of people where um, you can kind of do a lot of things pretty good. Um, I mean, I'm saying this pretty good, obviously I- exceptional because you're working at Buzzard, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, guys who can, you know, like not only model stuff, but also can concept. Um, and that's an interesting crossover. It's something that I think personally for me has been a real challenge because i feel every time um the problem i've had the last this is me I agony aunt thing here guys i'll try not to be too long but yeah the, the last couple of years i've definitely found where i've struggled to find my focus and my focus has mostly been tarred because i'm kind of jumping between 2d and 3d characters and environments yeah, yeah um and especially now you know i mean uh I did do 3D for a while where I was getting to a point I could model things pretty well, but then still wasn't kind of making them game ready. That was still a process I was learning, but um, also enjoy painting and drawing um, and wanting to, you know, focus on one thing, obviously, because I think that's the quickest way to get uh, leverage in this this industry is if you kind of specialize initially on one thing. Um, But how did you feel, you know, kind of flexing both those muscles and having you know your kind of pick of things to do or, or being able to do multiple things was that quite common in blizzard especially where people kind of multi-talented in those different disciplines or? Yeah, there
1: was quite like on the on the character team there was you know a lot of those guys were really good 2d artists as well obviously mark is a really good concept artist pure yeah. as pure oberson has like an amazing style he's a super good 2d artist as well mm-hmm. um I don't know, on the art team, like, there's a lot of very talented and very, like, kind of flexible people overall, as yeah. I remember. Um, for, like, from my own perspective, I found that, I mean, like, I'd wanted to get better at 2D for a very long time. And, like, yeah. from about, you yeah, know, from pretty much the moment that I got into Free Radical, I managed to get a job. Like, I just spent any free time I had at home just trying to get better as a 2D artist. So it was definitely, like, a, probably, like, a six- or seven-year process to get to the point where blizzard would let me do you know concept stuff as well right, okay, model, yeah. so it was like it was definitely a, a gradual <laughs> painful yeah. process um yeah but i found that having spent all that time making assets it, it meant that you know when it came to making concept art that was actually functional and, and usable for the environment team or whoever else like i found that i kind of had a pretty good understanding of like what what the pain points were going to be or like what what it was going to be important to work out because like so much of concept art and game design in general i guess but like a lot of the time with concept art like it's just problem solving right it's like you're not necessarily yeah. doing like super pretty um paintings or anything or like really, yeah. you know getting the chance to polish any individual piece of art like a lot of the time it's just you know some really rough sketch that shows an environment artist how two parts of a building or something are going to connect or like you know the backside of something like just really really um you know quickly and uh roughly sketching all that kind of stuff out so yeah i found that coming from a sort of you know a production artist background that Mm -hmm. i i had a pretty good idea of like what was going to be useful you know Outside of just like coming up with interesting ideas, like I definitely found that, yeah, being able to sort of see it from both sides i guess was was something that that was like really beneficial for me when i when I started to do more concept art um yeah, and I wanted to mention as well, like when I was another really good thing about being in that area in Southern California was that there's a lot of these really good schools, like obviously you have the big ones like art center and things like that, but then yeah. smaller ones where you can do these like weekend courses or like ten, 10 week courses where you do like 10 evenings you know brainstorm and stuff like that yeah brainstorm and concept design academy like i i i owe so much to to being able to go to those schools and like you yeah. know learn from people like nathan fowkes or shane prigmore or chris oh, yeah, yeah. like all these dudes like he, I mean I I'm a massive fan of animation of, of you know feature animation and like all the visual development work like I think it's some of the absolute best stuff. I love it like I prefer it to game stuff to be honest like I think it's so well designed and just like they just have it down to an absolute science I think and to, yeah. doing as much as possible with as few elements as possible I think they they just absolutely nail it so much of the time. But um, yeah. but yeah I just I don't know like the certain certain things that I that I learnt Going to courses at those schools, you know, on a on a on a Saturday or a Sunday or whatever that like I know like kind of made all the difference for me. So I'm just yeah, super grateful that that I was able to sort of um you know, eat up a lot of that <laughs> a
0: lot of that yeah. while I was there. Uh, yeah. I mean that's interesting as well because we've had uh James Murphy on uh not too long ago. Yeah yeah, yeah and, and James is like, you know, I, th- I saw just tonight him and Anthony Jones um and uh Steve Zapar are going to be running some uh, classes on the East Coast uh, soon. And uh, even those three guys between them, but then James had said, like I said, when he started brainstorming, it was just a great way of getting information and teaching to people on a, a kind of short-term basis. Yeah. But um, it's definitely one of those things where this whole kind of slew of modern learning can be very adaptable to however you want to learn. And there's great that there's a, an alternative there because... You know, Art Centre's great and, and, uh, you know, Nomon places like that. Alex, you know, has built something amazing there. But then, of course, the reality is those things cost a lot of money. And, you know, if you don't have that kind of capital, you know, you want to be able to have an option of somewhere where you can learn from professionals. And I think James and John have done a real thing with Brainstorm that has stood the test of time over the last couple of years. and Absolutely. You know, James is one of the, the guys who's benefited from that. You know, upon teaching there as well, he also got to learn stuff because he got to sit in another classes. So, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's an amazing thing. Um, then, of course, you need to be out that side of the world, of course, to, to take advantage of them. But um, I know what you're saying, like that whole district of studios that were in South California and the, the schools that are there, if you get a job in one of those studios, then, yeah, the, the learning possibilities kind of skyrocket from there. I think that's
1: uh, it because you're like, you know the job you're just like surrounded by super talented people who you know you you can just learn from stuff every day and then yeah having uh-huh. the opportunity outside of that to then learn from sort of adjacent industries you know whether it's like film you know concept work yeah. or effects or animation or whatever like it yeah it's definitely it was definitely you know uh super super worthwhile being able to to take advantage of all that stuff
0: money well spent yeah definitely yeah. and then again at the fraction of a price compared to what you would be paying yeah, yeah. At one of the bigger schools and so I think, I think as i recall it like blizzard reimbursed for for
1: a certain amount of that stuff as well so it was uh,
0: oh yeah i remember i was uh i managed to get across when i was in LA for Livebox. um uh, luckily david long shout out Um, managed to get me a a tour um, Mm. and I got to catch up with a couple of guys that I'd spoke to online for a while Um, Jeremy Cranford from the Huston team and Philip Zhang from the WoW team as well so they were all kind of like yeah if you're coming out give us a shout out and then we all kind of sat and had lunch together so um, yeah it was was a really awesome time just to see um, the studio but then yeah David was talking about how Blizzard have a kind of purse or a pocket that they can give to artists of the year to basically invest in themselves. So yep. um, that's really amazing when I mean, you get the opportunity to not only work at such an amazing studio, but they then want to invest back in you as a, an artist. So, I, um, yeah, I think it makes sense, though.
1: You know, if if you can afford to invest in your in your staff, then you should. Like, if they're keen yeah. to keep learning, I think that the you know the the worst thing would be is if people get to a certain point in their career and they're you know just kind of happy at that level and like, well, I've kind of learned everything that I want to learn. <laughs> And it does happen, yeah. like, you know, you. most people I encounter are still, like, curious and enthusiastic and, and wanting to learn, but you definitely do encounter people who are just like, this is the way I do stuff and I'm not going to change now. So, yeah. <laughs> so as long, I mean, as long, yeah. as long as people are willing to wait, make the effort, then, yeah, I think it, it makes sense for companies to, to try and, you know, help them to do it as
0: much as possible, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely the guys I've always met um, who are involved in Blizzard at one point or another have always been the guys – anyway the the side of the guys I've met has been the guys who've been invested in learning and, and growing and yeah. making their stuff better. So um yeah I think that's the reason the reason that Blizzard comes out with such amazing stuff all the time. And then of course um recently BlizzCon happened and you know Overwatch 2 got announced, Diablo <clears throat> 4. So you know it's good that they're still churning out newer stuff as well, although it's kind of built in uh pre existing franchises. But then I think it they've kind of grooved into the Nintendo way of thinking where um they kind of just breathe new life into those old uh ips and make them more modern or more interesting um i think especially even the fact that diablo 4 was based on like a japanese horror aesthetic mm. um has really been interesting to see that and, and the whole lilith design and the way they're going to push that game and the more realistic approach to it um so i think yeah that's gonna be a a really interesting time for blizzard and, um although <laughs> it was funny we were having a a conversation um, and again no no, no disrespect to the Overwatch team because those guys are incredible but um, people were kind of thinking that Overwatch 2 looked more like a, a kind of add-on mm. to the game as opposed to something brand new um, but then I think the content is so fresh and so amazing anyway that um, sometimes people just want more of the same so um, if, if the game was you know already kind of solid but they just wanted to add extras on top of that um, it's probably a good way to go um keeping the core mechanics and the core aesthetic and look but just adding more uh content on top of that for people to ingest so yeah i um, I think uh you know there's going to be a you know
1: many hundreds of hours of gameplay in that game so i I wouldn't yeah i wouldn't worry too much about whether it feels like a full sequel or not but yeah yeah i can understand at the same time i think like um you know maybe people ideally would would hope to see like a big change between Overwatch 1 and Overwatch 2 i don't know yeah. whether it's in terms of the setting or something or other you know obviously like they yeah. built this very um you know sort of positive optimistic future and it'd be hard to take it in a very different direction you know straight off the bat yeah. or, um, but i can i can i can get where people are coming from you know but, but yeah. I, think I think it's like, I, like you know it's yeah. popular for a reason so if you can it yeah, yeah. on top of that, then, you know, I'm sure, yeah. you know, people people like to have, you know, very uh, reactionary opinions, but I'm sure a lot of those people will still be there playing it the day that
0: it drops. <laughs> oh, yeah, of course. So definitely. I think it's interesting as well where it was probably because you built, you know, you spent so many years world building on that, that IP that... Yeah you Know there probably is multiple games within that because, yeah. like you said, you were taking one aspect of it and expanding, so yeah, yeah, you know, like even people talk about, I, mean, I wonder how they're doing with heroes and if they're running out of ideas. But then, you know, when Titan was probably a thing, you know, mm-hmm. you had you know 30, 40 different variations of people, and then of course, yeah, yeah. uh, the good thing with Wizard is they'll take the time to really handcraft each individual hero or villain and yeah. make them very full and fleshed out so that when they come out, they feel like a very complete package um and the fact that you know once you buy that game everything that then expands in that is free yeah. so yeah it's, it's not a thing where you know you're uh with some games you know you're buying champions or you're buying extra stuff that just is it comes as part of your base package so yeah um yeah,
1: yeah. you think about the amount of content that's come out in the the, the three years since you know we've watched came out that's that's a
0: lot for yeah one Sixie game c bucks or whatever it was yeah. yeah yeah i think i think actually i paid about 25 or something it was on sale so <laughs> <laughs> i definitely can't complain about you know uh content and then uh, it's all those things as well but i feel i can't complain about any game because the game known people within the industry it's hard to to talk shit about games when you understand the level of commitment and time oh, that goes yeah. into these things yeah, yeah, um yeah. When people always look at stuff and go, "Ah, oh, that looks crap," or <laughs> oh, you know, it's like, "Oh God," you, a part of you dies inside. You're like, "Oh, you have no idea." So, um, especially because I think uh, I knew some guys on the the Anthem team, uh, oh, in EA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, of course, that had such a kind of negative initial yeah. reaction, and people yeah. kind of left it. It was like, "Oh no," you know what I mean yeah. it's really sucked? And then of course, all the the controversy with stuff like Battlefront, we yeah. Because, again, I was like, oh, it's a Star Wars game. I was super happy for it to come out. And then it got this huge negative reception. I was like, no. Yeah. So it's uh, it's something I think you just have to make peace with if you work in games that you're kind of at the mercy of the consumer and it's yeah. hard to it's a hard overcome that. Thing, but, yeah, I mean, I've been fortunate that I've not, I've not really worked. I
1: mean, I've worked on a lot of things that never came out. <laughs> but I've not really worked on anything that's like, I've never worked on anything that was like really hyped and then, you know, underwhelmed massively. Um yeah but I can imagine that's that's pretty can be pretty horrible like if you've yeah. if you've put like years of your life into something and sacrificed a lot of weekends and worked long hours to do it and all that sort of stuff and then yeah, yeah. the kind of you know the sum result of that is like yeah is something that people are
0: angry about <laughs>
1: for some reason like it's pretty harsh to be honest um
0: yeah I mean you kind of you kind of face that in a term where you guys were brought in and told that Titan was basically not going to continue in its current form, and mm. you would be moving on to something else. So, in a sense, you've you have experienced that. You know, you've had that whole. I've worked on this for five years, and then yeah. all of a sudden, yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, I think yeah. If it hadn't been for the fact that you know it became Overwatch, I think I'd feel yeah a lot more bitter about it. But yeah, my, you know, going back and working on that project for a year or something and shipping it like it felt like having some closure on it, whereas. Yeah, if it had been, you know, if it had been a project that just never came out at all, then it would be yeah.
0: be harder to reconcile. I think. Uh, I think that's why Chris probably thought about tossing in um, the kind of, you know, or give, not not giving up, of course, but you know, moving on from Blizzard. I think that's why he felt it was the right time because probably after spending so much time in Titan and then Overwatch finally shipped yeah. and you know had such a positive reception, he was like, right, time to go out on a a positive note and yeah. Yeah, um, because I mean he'd been there since the '90s, so yeah, you know, yeah, it was, it was a long journey for him. But then, of course, now you've left Blizzard and you know you've moved on, and you know you've kind of had the same probably experience where it's been a big part of your life, and now you've moved on to something where you know, I mean, do you? I mean, do you miss the kind of day-to-day stuff? Do you miss the people you worked with? I yeah, mean, you probably missed it all right, but absolutely, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it was a
1: su- it was a super good crew on you know on titan and on overwatch like i made a lot of really good friends and um i do miss that side of it like as much as i enjoy aspects of you know working remotely and just being able to kind of choose my own schedule to a degree like Mm -hmm. don't you can't kind of replicate even if you're on discord even if you're on slack and you're chatting with people all the time like you can't replicate that experience of kind of being you know physically in a studio with people so there are there are aspects of that that i miss and i hope to get back to some kind of like team scenario at some point in the future yeah i mean i just had four months i was in brazil for four months working at this studio wildlife um with a number of people who i'd worked with at blizzard and at riot so it was kind of like a mini reunion of sorts so that was cool like being in a being in a new city and like getting to be around a bunch of artists again for the first time in
0: a few years was, was super cool. Wow. So Was that, was that just you on your own or were your family with you as well? In Brazil no, or? I did,
1: yeah. I just went there. They came out, my family came out for like, uh, about a month while I was there. So I did right. sort of, yeah, I did like four months and th- three months ish of that. I was there sort of on my right. own. It was a slightly weird experience to, you know?
0: <laughs> but,
1: uh, yeah. I mean, it, it was super worthwhile. Like I learned a lot for sure. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I'm grateful to have had the opportunity to to visit and live somewhere for a bit that you know probably wouldn't have ended up going otherwise. So, of it was super cool. But at the same, time, it's tough. Obviously, you know, more more so. I think you know, for my wife having to having to look after the two kids while I was
0: <laughs> in, a, in a you know high rise apartment somewhere. Um, mm, but girl, yeah, but um, it's it's difficult. I think in the initial stages because your kids are so impressionable um when you know you've got to move or, or or upheave and move to somewhere else it's yeah it's a lot to ask I think more of them than you because yeah, I th- uh, yeah.
1: but I mean in this situation I knew it was only ever going to be a temporary thing so it wasn't like we, yeah. uh, we were like upping sticks and I was going to take them all to Brazil it was it was more yeah. like yeah you know it sort of changed to the to the routine of things you know that kind of yeah. used to me being at home obviously and like working yeah Working from home and like being there when they come home in the afternoon, that sort of thing. So it was, it. Yeah. it was, um, it was uh, yeah. We, we managed it, and you know, Skype and FaceTime and all those sorts of things. They help, of course. So, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. So I mean, that's the thing now, where you know, like you said, you've got the next step, and you try to think. Um, it's kind of interesting when you come away from something as big as Buzzard, right? Because mm-hmm you think well, what's next because for a lot of people that is almost a peak of a career where you know people maybe work their whole lives to get to that studio or you know once they get there don't want to leave because it's it's all they want to really ever know because yeah. it's such a big part of their life so is was that a, a conscious thing when you left you just you had a plan or you just thought I'll leave and then see where the kind of world takes me or um well my wife and I, we'd kind of been
1: chatting about whether whether we would move back to the UK and when would be a good time to do it. And, like, for one reason or another, it ended up being around the time, like, just around when Overwatch was shipping. And so, right. like, we just made the decision, like, you know, if we want uh, our eldest, Alex, if we wanted to go into the school system in the UK, then we kind of have to do it now. So right. um, so I kind of felt like shipping Overwatch was a really good place to, to leave at. And... Yeah. Um, I was fortunate that a number of people who I worked with at Blizzard had then ended up at Riot so um including yeah, Kenny the recruiter who who got me to Blizzard um he he was yeah. at Riot at that point so I basically just asked him like I said I'm going to move back to the UK can I work for Riot 3 days a week because I really want to work on my own projects as well and um yeah and like they they were good with that they were fine with that so basically that's what I did for the for the 3 years after immediately after blizzard was um i would work for them for riot remotely monday to wednesday okay. uh, on various projects and then on my own kind of game projects uh, thursday and friday of the week so it was it was pretty nice pretty nice situation for for three years or so um
0: cool and i you i was gonna say you're still in california at the time you were working freelance for them, uh, yeah. no this was back in the uk so ah, okay yeah, right. so yeah so i was i was working with
1: the time difference but but right we're like super really laid back about that sort of thing i mean i think it helped that i was working on early stages of a lot of projects so it wasn't like the turnaround time had to be like we need this eight hours from now a lot of a lot of stuff was just like still blue sky you know right quick, yeah. so there wasn't really that that deadline for anything yeah. um, but- was that uh was that stuff that's just like it's just recently been announced. Yeah, so that yeah, stuff? yeah. yeah. So I, I actually contributed to to four of those projects in one way or another. <laughs> so oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. I mean, mainly I was on the uh, Project L, which was the fighting game. So I did a a, right. good, a good amount of uh, environment design for that. Cool. Uh, but then I I did a bit on Arcane initially, which is the the animated series. So I was mm-hmm. on that when it was was really still pretty early. Like they were working with. Um, uh, fortiche the, the french studio at that point but um right. still like they were still yeah still just like yeah, writing the scripts basically um yeah so that was really cool like something different to what i was used to and then i did a bit on project a and mm-hmm. uh, and then about six months on project f i'm trying to remember all the
0: all the, all the-, the project <laughs> names yeah
1: <laughs> So yeah, i was, was super fortunate
0: that i got to um experience contribute to those yeah, yeah. yeah. Um it was, it was definitely interesting where when I was out in LA uh, I got the tour thanks to my pal Lydia uh, Zanotti I got to tour Riot, yeah, yeah. and then um, sit and have lunch with a couple of the guys and uh they were kind of talking about my, my gaming habits and I was talking about yeah well I'm a fan of Overwatch and you know I think recently I would also be playing a lot of Rainbow Six Siege and they were kind of hinting like oh yeah like if you like those games then you'll definitely enjoy what we're working on so it was like oh that's interesting i wonder what you guys are doing so um it only started to click as i got in the plane i was like oh they must be working on a first person shooter so yeah it was and then of course like it was a week or two later obviously just recently um that all got kind of announced and, and talked about so um yeah, it's, it's it's been an interesting right to see that rights kind of um trying to chip away at a lot of other people's money bags because uh they've got an ambitious couple of years ahead of them i think with you know animated series and fps and card games and there's a a lot going on so um, you
1: know for yourself from having been there it's like it's a big campus like i was yeah oh jesus yeah i mean coming from blizzard even like i mean blizzard's yeah pretty sizable but then kind of riot like the, the the level of facilities and just like the just the, the the scale of it is is pretty damp
0: it's ridiculous i think the one thing that i found was crazy was that um the breakfast lunch and dinner is paid for them like the whole cafeteria thing is free to the employees yeah, I mean, so. it's like
1: really good food as well
0: right it's like oh, oh god yeah there was so i mean some i eh? so i mean like i was like oh they might not have things but then there was yeah. just a huge selection of stuff and um teen coffee juice was all you know free snacks There was yeah. multiple arcades there was like sit down places for people to play pc games yeah. it was did you get so much. The, um, oh the like the coffee shop whatever it is that, uh... yeah the smoothie place yeah yeah I got a, a, a smoothie that bloody um, was kind of saying you know just pick whatever ingredients you want but there was kind of pre-made ones I think I just picked I can't remember the name of it but yeah I got a free smoothie and nice. um, got to see the the kind of e-stage for you know oh, for the yeah. the esports stuff Yeah. Um so that was really interesting and, and just even just walking about and speaking to people and everyone looks so happy and they're all having fun in the huge basketball court and um I was just drilling, man. And then I, I we were walking about because Lydia was kinda giving me the mini tour and one of the guys kinda stopped and was like, Oh hey man, what's happening? And then we kinda walked on and uh Lydia was like, Do you know who that was? I was like, No. He's like it's like the owner of the fucking company. I was like, Oh shit, <laughs> okay, <laughs> fair enough. Um but he was going back to his desk to do some work. He was actually getting back into game dev, so um yeah, it was really interesting to see the whole process start to finish of that whole company and yeah. the the scale of it is just absolutely crazy. And then, of course, within the last couple of weeks, a couple of guys that I knew, at Blizzard, have actually left to go to Riot. So <laughs> it's like, yeah, they, they just attract so much talent because I think the benefits are um, are really are really just great for I think artists in general, especially I think they kind of know. Oh, I would say laid back atmosphere, like they're very. A lot of the guys I spoke to, who came from different places and different companies, have said that it's the best work-life balance they've ever had cool. working at Riot. Yeah, um, there's a very huge emphasis on that your time is your own once you leave, you know, the studio, and mm-hmm. you you don't have to be there to eight nine o'clock at night if you've got a family, go home and see them. Because um, mm-hmm. their projects sometimes are a bit more of a slow burn than the initial push to get things out quickly. So um, probably because League is still you know churning in enough money to. They keep them spinning over. So yeah. um yeah. Interesting. Interesting times. It might be an eventual thing that you probably look at <laughs> once your kids are, are maybe getting back out of primary school or something, they head back to California and work for right. But yeah, but like the, the, the campus is just ridiculous. But yeah. Um but I think that comes part and partial with the, 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 the talent that they have there. So oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And is that, I mean, I think it would be difficult going back to somewhere like Riot for You, right? Because then you're getting back into those big teams again and probably um, less. Although, I don't know, I say that, I, I, I know Lydia's team who were working and stuff, um, their team was pretty small. Um, I think, again, about maybe 15, 20 people. Mm. Um, so it's no, like like you said, with, with Titan, it was like 200. Um, I think their teams are a bit more focused, um, yeah. Then kind of the grandiose stuff. So yeah, I think they uh, they got a mix of of different. have yeah. team sizes depending
1: on yeah what the scope of the game is and also the project what, and stuff. What, what yeah, stage of the the process they're at. I mean, yeah, yeah I mean right now I've, I've no desire to like join one of those kind of juggernauts again. But yeah, in time maybe you know I'm, yeah, yeah down the line. I'm happy um, being in a position where I can sort of. Yeah. Uh, yeah sort of set my own schedule and uh Mm -hmm. spend a fair amount of time just like experimenting with my own ideas and so on like yeah yeah. plus the flexibility for having two two young kids as well because then you know I mean Blizzard was was always really good like I mean with Mm -hmm. a few exceptions like I rarely had to crunch much at all like uh, yeah I felt like you know if it was asked of me, then it was, it was really necessary. But like generally yeah. I tried to just keep to like a, you know, pretty strict, like eight to five, eight to six schedule,
0: something like that. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. 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 Always. I think people are just more understanding that, you know, um, you have a family and stuff and, and yeah. you need to be able to go to your kids. For anybody really, like it's, um it's important to have downtime. Like I think yeah. uh,
1: if you just on this, this you just perpetually like, Churning and just like mm-hmm. running the risk of getting burnt out, like you're never gonna have any opportunity to really think creatively in your own time. And I find for my own like projects, my own ideas, like I need a certain amount of like time and space to just uh, let my thoughts wander, you know. And I think if you're yeah. like constantly at work or you're like constantly thinking about the job, then you're just not gonna have any of those breakthroughs for yourself, and you're probably you know more more than likely you're gonna be. A less efficient worker as well so i kind of feel like if i give eight to ten solid hours a day to who mm-hmm. i working for then that's like that's a really good chunk of time and like past that point, yeah. i'm probably going to start giving you less and less of what i'm
0: able to do so i think it's it's the point of the diminishing return right that's you great. get to a point where you yeah. just you just you're just moving the pencil or the or yeah, the yeah. actually doing anything um but i think it's good to when to talk about eight to ten hours because i know for some guys like yeah, that is an eight to ten hour day, but then, you know, you maybe have an hour at lunch. You maybe get up and walk about, have a, a just a chill and read or something for half an hour. You know, like your your whole day isn't just like sitting at your desk no, no, no. for ten hours. Um and even getting to be able to go and see what other people are doing because that will then feed into what you're also doing that you're not just working in a bubble. Yeah. So um yeah, and I think it's interesting where You've still got this passion to have your own project. I think that's something that you know everybody talks about that how you always have to have a personal project, and I think it's especially justified at those bigger studios because you start to feel like you said like more of a not really a number because I mean Blizzard are very good at keeping people kind of identified in their in their teams, but yeah, you want to have something that's just for you because uh, you can get lost in those big AAA titles yeah. and and I and I think you know it, it's just a fact
1: of life that certain ideas that you have aren't going to be applicable to whatever it is that you're working on at the time even something like titan which had a pretty broad scope you know i had a lot of ideas for things that just weren't going to fit within that so mm-hmm. i just wanted to always have stuff going on the side that you know i could just use as mm-hmm. kind of a way of improving like i did a lot of like kind of visual development projects for a number of years like purely mm-hmm. as a way of making myself do work that I wasn't comfortable doing you know just like come up with an ip or some kind of idea and then be like right I'm going to do all of the environment design for this right I'm going to you know do all the characters or something like just to just to have something to kind of wrap it all up in you know like I think it's hard when you just work in isolation like you just sit down and you're like right I'm just going to design some characters but you don't know mm-hmm. what they're for like I yeah. really found that like having this overarching kind of brief that was like constantly evolving and growing was just a really good motivator for me and really helped me to improve more quickly. Just because I was like constantly sort of developing whatever this idea was, like it was sort of growing, and you know I was getting more and more excited about one that I was improving and two that like this sort of IP, the story, whatever it was, was sort of you know having a, a life of its own to some degree. So I've kind of become addicted to like growing ideas of one kind or another. And it's going kind to of move more into game development. Like I've been working at developing various prototypes for the last sort of three-ish years. Um, yeah. But I just love, I love that that creative process. Like I'm, I'm a lot, I'm a lot better at starting ideas than I am at finishing them. It's like for
0: oh, me right.
1: yeah. I'm a seal at this point, but, um, yeah. but at the same time, like there's something really, really fun, particularly when you put actual, you know, uh you know gameplay into something like when you come up with an idea and then you start to prove it out and then you think about what's the aesthetic what's the setting like like that like just super rewarding and i think that's another reason why i'd find it hard to go back to a like big team with hundreds of people is like you know i like being able to get involved in design as much as art to be honest so yeah um
0: you know so i think yeah. yeah I think that's interesting what you're talking about where uh, again when you're working on something like Titan and such a big, big uh, project the dial-in of that will eventually happen where you're not really churning out new ideas you're just trying to refine the ones you already have so mm-hmm. I think forcing yourself to make those new worlds uh, will flex that part of your brain that you're not getting to in your day-to-day job because like you said you eventually were just going through the motions, right? High poly, low poly, bake, repeat, rinse Yeah um, so, which is great because you're contributing to this big project, but at the same time, you need something that fills your creative soul. And I remember one of my friends talking about this ages ago where he was keeping a sketch... I don't know if he's really talk about what he's developing, but anyway, no, he wouldn't really care, but he was developing a sketch basically of, uh, you know, the, the, the animated series uh, Avatar, which was basically originally Aang, now it was Korra recently, mm-hmm. and it was all about the elements. So he to, to keep him basically sharp and, and kind of uh, flex that muscle, he was trying to imagine what, I'll maybe not talk to what his ideas were, but what he was basically doing was trying to envision the next iteration of the Avatar and what that would look like because I think the next iteration after war was Earth. So he was trying to figure out, Uh, you know, in the Earth Kingdom, what would it look like past, because the the Korra was, like the initial one was set kind of, I couldn't even tell you the time period, but then of course Cora was set more in like 1920s, 30s with the cars and the kind of Charleston stuff. Mm -hmm. And then trying to bring it into maybe like the 40s, 50s, and then see how that would look and how the new main character would look and how powers had evolved or the world had evolved. So he has a sketchbook that's just all visual development for that world. And that's only for him. You know, I mean, I don't think he's ever going to pitch it to the team. Well, the team kind of disappeared. They're working on, Dragon Prince now but um, but yeah like that whole thing is just for him to keep his creative mind yeah. sharp yeah. Um, also building his own video games so that ideas will then trickle from that into the other books so um, yeah I think there's definitely merit and finding your own world to build Um, i I, I mean i I just yeah i really enjoy it and uh, and also like yeah
1: it's definitely true that um you know it, it it's it's fantastic to have a job where you're so passionate about what you're doing that you kind of pour yourself into it but at the same time there is always this danger that the thing you're working on might never come out and having experienced that a number of times i'm kind of a little bit reticent to um to like fully commit to something just in case it might not work out. And at the same time, like it makes me much more keen to have my own things going all the time. Cause like if the thing I've been working on doesn't work out, then it sucks, but I've still had this other thing going the whole time and I can sort of redouble my efforts into improving that, whatever that thing is. So um, yeah, Yeah. you need to have that balance because um, you know, yeah. if, If you put like kind of all your eggs in one basket, I mean, you know, you might you might end up working on something that you know comes out and is amazing and like you feel f- completely fulfilled from it but you know chances are that even if you are working on a great game that like you're going to want to have something of your own that one day might become you know a game in its own right a film in its own right whatever yeah.
0: Well, the story with the guys again because I love this. I mean, I've got tattoos that hang over my arm and everything because um, I'm just obsessed with it. But <laughs> I mean, reading into that book, the the kind of art of book the Nizal, the first one, um, you, you learn about the, the the two creative directors in that project who brought it to life. Mm. Had worked on several shows before that where you know the creative input was not really there. They were just kind of shoring in at the time, or they were putting something together. Yeah. Um, in fact, I think one of the shows they worked on before. I... Uh, uh, Aang was uh, Invader Zim which was a kind of huge cartoon back in the day Um that actually just came back I watched it uh, going to LA on the plane I watched the 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 Netflix special the, the kind of one-off movie they'd mm-hmm. done um, and it was incredible I was pissing myself laughing yeah. But, but yeah but yeah, there's a time where you will work on these things for a long time and you'll never really get that chance to to make your own things. so I think building those worlds originally in your books and then uh, we'll just build them in general are great because then eventually if you do get the opportunity to pitch something and you've already got like a whole backstory a whole world building set it's more easy for somebody getting bored with that and be like oh well you've already done so much of the footwork it will be less work for us so um which is really really great and uh i think, I think you that, just, oh, yeah. you're just developing those creative abilities to actually just
1: build a project from scratch as well like if you're you know if you are on one of these big teams like i said before like you're probably going to have to specialize to some degree and that means you're not necessarily going to have like a really broad holistic view of, of the thing as a whole whereas if you're in charge of an entire you know ip to some you know even if it's only one that you're creating in your head then you still have to make a lot of bigger artistic decisions that you know if you're just you know a concept artist or a character artist or something you're just not gonna have the opportunity to do that so I think it's a it's a good way of like priming yourself when there are no stakes and then like if you get the opportunity to actually you know art direct something or be a creative director or whatever game director right. then you'll have done you know in theory you'll have done a lot of that work you know you'll have kind of gone through a lot of those conversations in your own head before you have to do it for real sort of thing so
0: yeah. So what's the, the kind of creative spark that's keeping you going at the moment? Are you developing something that, still? Is there something that's come out that...
1: Yeah.
0: Oh, I'm, just, I'm just terrible for like starting different things. <laughs> like, I've developed like a number
1: of different prototypes. I mean, I'm definitely in interested in indie gaming and, and uh, you know, most of my favourite games of the last probably four or five years have all come from the indie side of things. So I'm definitely very inspired by you know things like inside and limbo and gone home and papers please and like all these really cool games that are very focused and very kind of they feel like very like crafted personal experiences so yeah i yeah i mean uh when i i guess yeah when when the r&d project that i was on for a couple of years when that got shelved i basically decided i was going to start learning how to make my own games because i wanted to one day get to the position where I could kind of call the shots in terms of what I chose to design or not um, and not leave that in somebody else's hands necessarily, leave that decision up to somebody else. Uh, of course. So yeah, so in the past sort of three or four years, I've been learning how to, to, to program and to, to do things in unity. And I made a bunch of different prototypes, you know, some more finished than others. Uh, yeah. And currently, currently, I'm kind of. I had something that I was developing for about six months that I've kind of paused for a little bit. I mean, I paused it mainly because I went to Brazil and I just had to focus on that sort of full time and didn't didn't have really much energy or opportunity to to continue with it. But um,
0: was that Shadow Drop or
1: no the the thing I've been working on more recently was called Waycaster. It's sort of like a
0: oh yeah, that as
1: well, yeah. adventure yeah. thing where you're this little character. Uh, moving through these environments and the sort of core mechanic the hook of it is that you know you take damage whenever you're in the sunlight so you have to kind of stay within the shadows but you can also uh control the orientation of the the light source so you can basically kind of dynamically like point the light in a direction so that you cast shadows and then create a pathway through the levels that way um Uh, yeah yeah. i have like a sort of 15 minute alpha type demo of that that I I developed up to a certain point and I'm kind of pretty happy with it as a proof of concept I mean I think my main thing right now is like the indie space is just so competitive and like there's just zero guarantee of any level of success you know I think if I was doing this 10 years previously I would have Mm -hmm. been a bit more bullish like particularly if I was doing it before I'd had kids then I would have kind of gone all in on it but you looking at the landscape as it is now like you can make an amazing game and there's still no guarantee that anybody will even see it you know let alone buy it so i'm a little like with you know with kids and a mortgage and all that sort of thing like a little reticent to fully commit to something like that you know even though ultimately it's where i want to get to is kind of designing my own products um i'm just still just kind of dipping my toe basically i'm just kind of you know still and i I still really enjoy artwork and and um making art and you know the 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 jobs that i've had recently have involved some degree of design and prototyping as well so i'm kind of getting to scratch that itch at the same time but yeah in terms of like putting a game out you know that sort of i've created or you know had a had a big part in like i'm a bit away from that but um still where i want to get and, and i still like in the meantime like i just really enjoy like i say uh developing ideas and and finding new ways of doing things and just um you know pairing different aesthetics and different settings with a with a particular idea that sort of thing so you yeah. know, like really that's what keeps me interested in what i'm doing is like combining art and design and and uh actually sort of using technology to um get that stuff running in real time versus you know like yeah. static imagery is great like I still like making concepts and, and that sort of thing but like actually having something that's you know interactive and you can run around it like there's something pretty magical about that I think so I think whatever I do in future it's going to
0: involve more of that type of thing yeah, I think it's it's very interesting with the the ideas you've had. I mean, one of the the first jobs I got out of university was helping on a a small indie game called Mask Assemblance, and I think I kind of talked about this yeah. when uh yeah, um Nick, uh, no Nick, but uh yeah Nick, Nick, Nick is the all the other Nick, not you Nick, <laughs> but um yeah Nick Hagelis, uh he is working on Mask Assemblance still and wants that to get produced, but every time they've went to they try and get publishing or, or get people behind it it's been really really difficult um, and I think because they've got this draw of the whole thing is hand painted um, it not only gives them like so much work to do um, it also makes it harder for people to kind of pitch in why it will be an aesthetic people want to play mm. but the love and detail that's went into that game is crazy and you know I think um, it's, it's something that really needs to come out at some point but for Nick it's hard to invest that full-time energy in it like you said because you know he's just moved and he has to focus on you know helping out with the bills and stuff so um yeah if he's not got the full-time budget then it's hard to, to yeah. make it a full-time and i
1: mean I had, I had opportunities for funding like when I, I was working on a previous idea brave odyssey which was this kind of open ocean like boats action rpg kind of game that oh looks yeah quite a lot like wind waker um there's a bunch of it on my art station and uh when i was developing that like you know some of the imagery and stuff like got a fair amount of attention on twitter and whatnot and like you know microsoft got in touch so i was talking to you know them for a while and then i've had various other publishers get in touch about one idea or another but like i still just feel like the kind of deals that people uh offering you oftentimes the, the terms just really aren't very good for you as an indie developer like maybe if you're mm. like single and you know you don't have necessarily the same amount of responsibilities that i do but like yeah you know, yeah if, you, if you're just like working on the game like one or two of you and you just need money for like rent and some ramen or something for a couple of years like then work <laughs> for, but like, it's yeah. either that or it's like you know somebody wanting to you know invest in a studio say but like the terms that they're offering you are just like not great so uh yeah i'd I'd rather like still try and pick and choose a bit and get to a position where i'm in a really strong strong yeah i'm in a kind of strong position and be able to dictate the terms to more of a degree but i don't know.
0: I think if you have that killer app and people can see that you do have the idea that's going to maybe change the, the landscape, then they're more keen to invest a bit more capital. But if it seems like something that's maybe not going to be resonating with people really super well or, sure. you it's know, it's to going me, It's
1: to... just a niche or, or it's just harder to tell, right? Like then I totally understand because like I say, like it's so oversubscribed out there. Like
0: there's, you know, thousands of games coming out each month on Steam. Like, yeah. It's just crazy. Like, you know. I think it's even finding the platform or or the the audience because I know even just recently we were just talking about this, you know, at the start of the night where, um, I'm going to be involved in the kind of first launch of Stadia. Um, but they're also just looking recently for, um, you know, people who have new ideas to come in that platform exclusively because, um, next week when they launch, they've got a one exclusive game just called, uh, guilt and it's, um one that's that's just for stadia it's not coming out, i don't think anywhere else but a smaller indie game again but um i think they had a, a platform uh that they knew was going to be new and wouldn't have a lot of exclusives so i think they just offered up here's this idea we'll pitch it we'll make it for you yeah, guys yeah. exclusively if you give us back and um so i think that's yeah and then of course xbox are doing the same now recently at e3 they announced that they just bought a ton of studios including you know rebuying back um uh, double fine um, and making that a part of their, their studio again. Um but yeah I think it's it's trying to find the platform that will resonate with your audience the most and um, I think even recently I did send Nick uh, a quick link for the, the Stadia dev thing and say look they'll probably look for people who are looking for ideas so maybe pitching you might have more success because I to Sony and, and Microsoft and Nintendo that might be a dime a dozen. But then um you never know. Although Nintendo seemed to have this this whole um what is it called? Is it pets? Port everything to Switch. Because <laughs> so, people were actually making fun of it like, oh yeah, I mean can imagine if they put something like The Witcher, that would be crazy. And then like oh. the next direct, they were like, Oh, the Witcher's coming out and Switch. So Yeah. Um which is a technical marvel in itself for that game to run on on the Switch. Yeah, so Yeah. Um so so I mean, yeah, your your future is probably I'm mixed bag or what like you yeah, said. I'm, to, I'm, I'm yeah.
1: kind of uh I'm gonna continue working with this um studio wildlife for a while like I've got a bunch of friends who are there and uh mm-hmm. you know, it's it's an interesting studio there's a lot happening there they're very ambitious so um my plan is to do some stuff for them and then there's another couple of things like I can't talk about right now but like there's there's uh some some interesting stuff out there and and hopefully some opportunities where i'm gonna get to sort of flex the like game design game prototyping side of things as well as as doing art so that's yeah i'm just sort of uh waiting for everything to fall into place basically but but it's actually like last couple of weeks like it's the first time i've i mean i've had vacations obviously over the last few years at, at various points but like i took a little bit of time off work and it's been like majorly worthwhile because uh i don't know at times it can feel like i've been doing the job for 15 16 years and like without a break or something so it's actually, yeah. it's actually been pretty good to just like sit back and like noodle on a few bits of artwork and just like learn to do a few things and all that sort of
0: thing. So, yeah yeah rediscover your your kind of artistic yeah self think, yeah you well. have
1: to like i think you have to um remind yourself like why you do it and what what you actually enjoy about it i, I it's been yeah it's been interesting because like for a long time I sort of have just sort of flowed along without having to worry about it too much but definitely like the last couple of months I sort of started to have some doubts about like what is it I actually enjoy doing like why am i about this like it's been a really good really good opportunity to just like um yeah just
0: start enjoying it um for what it is again I think Yeah, which I think is is refreshing, I think, to hear always is that even, you know, people at at the higher levels of the game um, still have those moments where, you know, like you said, you're you're trying to rethink about where I kind of fit in, what is my, you know, purpose, but what is my identity for, you know, making these games and why do I still want to do this? So, um, yeah, I think it's very interesting when you see people at your level, particularly, still reassessing those questions. Yeah, Well, I'm getting quite old, so I have to like, um, <laughs> so, so I have a midlife crisis at some point, so. Yeah, so yeah. Well, I mean, I'm I'm kind of in a unique position where you know I just recently turned 34, but um, I had the, the unfortunate uh idea at 28 that I wanted to leave my job as an engineer and go back and chase my dreams of working in games or or, or work as an artist, and um, it's been an interesting six years, but um i'm always kind of at this point where i'm, I'm still questioning was it a good idea or not but um i mean i'm definitely poorer but <laughs> I'm, I'm probably a lot happier yeah. um, than i so, was yeah, I think, so i think as long as you feel like you're you know you're, you're
1: making progress and you're enjoying the journey then that's what's yeah. really important i think and um yeah i, I don't know I, I feel i feel uh privileged that you know I, i've chosen something as a job that feels like a sort of lifelong pursuit you know I think I'm always going to be artistic in some form or another and I'm always going to be curious about stuff like that's one one of the things that I like most about being an artist is like maintaining that kind of childlike curiosity for things and, and still like wanting to learn even if only in a superficial way like being intrigued by things around you and uh, yeah not just kind of going through life in a sort of you know blind kind of you know mundane sort of a way like i still still get excited about nerdy little things and like i'm still going on wikipedia all the time to try and think of interesting ways to frame a particular idea or whatever so i yeah i think uh yeah it's all it's all uh i think it's one of the best things you can choose to do with your time personally
0: yeah i think it's interesting with me because I think where I've struggled the last maybe year or two is um, coming from a university background and then heading into, you know, I've got an office now where I'm kind of talking to you from and I do most of my work and, and, you know, I look back at it, you know, between my networking and going to events and the podcast and getting my degree. I mean, I have done a lot of things I think I'm really proud of, but I think the hard thing for me now is that I'm stuck in an office on my own every day with no one around me. And I'm definitely one of those types of people who feeds off energy of other people. Again, when I was at Axis, it was great going in there every day and just being surrounded by all those super talented people. And I know that it was probably one of the better parts of my life when I got to go in there and speak to people and interact and feed off their energy. Um, And I think it's hard now because I'm on my own and, now I'm at a point where I need to build that portfolio and get a job, but it's 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 harder for me, I think, to, to find the motivation sometimes because I'm stuck here on my own. So
1: Yeah, I know. Um, I get it. Like I'm mean, I'm in a you know at a different point in my career but definitely in a in a similar uh position in terms of like yeah, it can be isolating like working working remotely. So yeah. yeah I'm yeah. sure man, like you keep plugging away, you're gonna get that opportunity and you'll be, you know, surrounded by talented interesting people in no time so i'll just
0: keep going with it you know yeah yeah okay right well i think that's uh that's a kind of good point for us to, to to talk about uh ending this and letting you get back to the rest of your night because i'm sure you've got plenty of stuff to be doing including putting the kids to bed and um getting ready for your next day of working but uh just, it was definitely awesome yeah. speaking to you all uh,
1: right yeah 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 it's been awesome yep
0: yeah and uh, of course uh, for you guys who have listened this has definitely been a, a longer episode um, but yeah uh, if you've got any questions for Nick or, or any other things you want to talk about um, just hit them up in the comments um, I'll leave all kind of next details in his art station below and you guys can uh, help us out by leaving a like or a comment or sharing this with any of your art friends um, a thanks again to Nick for coming on and speaking to us and yeah just uh, stay tuned because we're going to have more awesome people to speak to Um, very very soon Um, trying to get them on is always harder but it will pay off eventually I promise Um, so again yeah thanks to Nick thanks to you guys for listening and uh, we will see you guys later, thanks